0: What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? You know, God made us just a little lower than the angels, it says in the book of Psalms. And uh, it goes on to say in Psalms 139, How precious are thy thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! And if I should count them, they are more than the sand of the sea. And when I awake, I am still with thee. And so... We understand and we see scriptures like this that tell us just how much God loves us and how much he cares about us. And yet, in an environment like this, where you're hearing from the love of God and hearing constantly how much he cares about you and how much he thinks about you. Here's a thought. You know, it says in Psalms 115, the Lord has been mindful of us. Let me read that to you. Psalm 115, verse 12. King James Version, the Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us and he will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will, verse 13, bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Now, think about this. If it says that the Lord has been mindful of us, that means that you have been on his mind, not remotely, but full. You have filled the page, so to speak. You have, we have and we think about how much God loves you in that degree, um, it's interesting that strategies of the enemy would come forth and actually get us to think thoughts like this, uh, my situation is helpless. Just think about that. A God that has plans for you, that loves you so much, that has it all, all the, all the power in heaven and earth, all authority has been given unto Jesus, and he's given it to us, praise God, to use the name and for us to even entertain the thought that we are helpless. Have you ever felt helpless before? Or am I just the only one? Have you ever been in a contract that was so big and you were, it was little you against a big company? Anybody besides myself ever felt that way? And uh, you were caught up. You know, sometimes you could, you could feel small. You could be caught up in a storm and feel so very small and see some of these storms as you have been taught in this church. Some of the storms are not a result of your sin, but it's just part of the territory. It's part of what's happening globally, if you will. Sometimes it's the decision of other people. Paul was in the perfect will of God when he told those men And at the end of Acts. He said, sirs, uh, I perceive you shouldn't sail because I perceive this this voyage will be with great harm. He said, I believe it was Acts 27. But nevertheless, because, you know, the south wind blew softly, they went ahead and set sail. Is that right? So when they had rough seas and, and uh, they were uh, basically in a very difficult situation, there's Paul right in the middle of it. Was that Paul's fault? No, there were decisions of other people around him that were affecting his life. But I have good news for you. The anointing on Paul saved the people that were around him. Praise God. He was a covenant man. But nevertheless, there are things in our lives that can make us feel very, very small. Like, I'm just a little, uh, I feel like a little this coming up against a corporate that. And however that may feel to you. You know, like, who am I against such a large and veritable enemy? Anyway, there are times you could feel helpless. But I remind you what Pastor Brenda preached on. Uh, recently, in her Sunday night series on the Holy Ghost. Remember that the Holy Ghost is our helper. And to quote John chapter 14, just a couple of verses here to get you kind of hooked into what we're going to be talking about tonight. I have told you these things in the Amplified Version. I've told you these things while I'm with you, said Jesus. But the Comforter, the Counselor, Helper, Intercessor, Advocate, Strengthener, Standby, the Holy Spirit... Whom the Father will send in my name and in my place to represent me and act on my behalf. He will teach you all things. Now, that's about all I want to read from that. But I wanted to show you that if He is the helper, how could we uh, say that we are without help? Right? If He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, particularly if we're sealed with the Holy Ghost on the inside. We really uh, cannot say that we are helpless. No one can say that we're helpless. There's another scripture in Hebrews 13, 15, uh, 13, 5b that says, For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you or give you up or leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you, what? Helpless. That's in the amplified version. I will not leave you helpless or forsake or let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Tonight, the Lord... I just put a word in my spirit to you, and the title of tonight's message is, The God of the Turnaround. Hallelujah. It's a, little, it's a deviation. Pastor gave me license to kind of step away from the book of John. And by the way, it has been a tremendous series that Pastor has been preaching. I've been, been so blessed uh, on the verse-by-verse teaching on the book of John. We only probably have a couple more sessions left. He's already skipping along. I think we might be starting in chapter 4 pretty soon. Nevertheless... Nevertheless, the God of the turnaround. Here's a scripture that we're going to refer to, Psalms 126, and this is in the Message Bible, Psalms 126. You're familiar with this scripture. It seemed like a dream, too good to be true, when God returned Zion's exile, and in the King James, it says, when the Lord turned our captivity. We laughed, we sang, we couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them, God was wonderful to us. We are one happy people. In the King James, the Lord turns captivity. It says, When the Lord turned our captivity, who turned it? The Lord, the Lord turns captivity. Friends, I'm here to talk to you tonight about the God that turns captivity. Captivity. God turns, as I study in the word, He turns people, He turns places, He turns policies, and He turns circumstances. I wanted to I wanted to read to you what the, the word what turn captivity mean. A complete reversal of a situation or a set of circumstances. An absolute complete reversal. Listen to that now. A complete reversal of of a situation or a set of circumstances. There are so many textbook examples in the Bible to encourage you today because it's, is, is it rough out there or what? But greater is He that is in us than what? Than He that is in the world. Hallelujah. Let's say that together. Greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. Now the focus here tonight is the fact that God turns situations around. He still turns them around today. And as we go into our lesson tonight for the following few minutes, I want to put out a little example to you about what it might feel like when you're facing some of life's situation. This is pretty simple. It's a little funny maybe. But it... A persistent bad situation is like trying to deal with a frozen bolt. Dad, you know what I'm talking about. A, a frozen joint when you're trying to work on plumbing. Dad's a retired plumber back there. But if you've ever been in a position to have to turn or turn a key that gets stuck, have you ever uh, put the wrench on there? Ladies, maybe you could relate, maybe not, but the guys certainly can relate. You know, a bolt that's been on an old car for a long, long, long time. And you go and you put the pressure on that thing and you go, (laughs) the veins pop out of your neck, the veins pop out of your eyes, your blood pressure goes up so many degrees, you turn red as a tomato. And you are just giving it all you got. Finally you say, whew, and you realize this is, this was not supposed to be that hard. That's the first thought, right? That comes to your mind like, oh, come on, come on. So you go, no, nah, okay, we're really, and so you, you roll up your sleeves and you're really gonna do it. As, and if you're anything like us guys are, are, you know, you get your foot up against the axle thing and you're really gonna, okay, we're gonna show you how it's done. And then you really work on that bolt. This is a situation that needs to be turned around. Amen. So you really hit it. And finally, you finally, you, you finally get to the place where this thing is really bad. It's really stuck. It won't move. Now, there's a spiritual lesson in this, so stay with me, ladies. <laughs> How many of you guys have been in that situation? So then you're, you're there, and, you, and then the, the one of the first things that comes up in your mind, you enter into the realm of reason. Come on now. You start to saying. I wonder, am I turning that in the right direction? (laughs) That's what it is. I'm turning the, I'm putting the pressure in the wrong direction. Let's see. Righty, lefty, lefty, loosey, whatever. But maybe since this is upside down, that's what it is. I'm going to go the other way. So you put the bolt on there. You put the wrench on there. You're really going for it. How many of you guys have ever done that before? Of course. You've tried the other way. If this way didn't work, try the other way. Your, your knuckles are just white. You're shaking because you're about, you know, you've stressed your muscles out as much as they can. So then you st- step back and you say, well, maybe the first way wasn't, you're back in reason again. Maybe the first way wasn't really... Wrong. Maybe it's supposed to be the other way. So there's a little confusion that goes in there. Is that right? Come on, guys. So then one of the next things that you do is you try, you know, other things. You try putting liquid wrench in there, don't you? You put, if you have liquid wrench, you put a little oil. And then there's other little tricks like you put some heat on it, you know. Have you tried heating it? Is that what you're a mechanic? You know what I'm talking about? Put a little heat on it, and and you you bang on it a little bit. Try to loosen that thing. Like what the. And then finally you get to the place where you start prophesying to it. That's that's when you start speaking in the name of Jesus. So you put the wrench on it again. You put the wrench on it and go. And then you say, it's still not budging. And then so you go, maybe it's supposed to be the other way. I've been there. I don't know about you. But you see, the correlation in life is very, very similar. There are situations in life that you apply yourself to and you do all the talking and all the thinking and all the reasoning and it's still not budging. You wrote the letter, you made the phone calls, you sent the emails, you pleaded, you pleaded, you were nice, you were nasty. Well, nasty certainly doesn't help. You, you, the gloves came off and you just went right after. Then the gloves went back on and got a little softer and it still didn't change. Hello, am I the only person in life? There's situations, you try to make it happen and make it happen and still, whatever. It still didn't happen. Friends, the Holy Spirit is trying to encourage us in a few things. There are some things that only God can turn around. You could spend a lot of energy and a lot of time Trying to muscle a situation, muscle a contract, muscle a relationship, force something. Or you can just get in the Holy Ghost and realize that, oh, this is one of those. This is one of those that only the Lord can do it. And tonight we have textbook examples of how the Lord is God of the turnaround. He turned things around in amazing ways. You know that little scripture, we hear it a lot in this, in this church, Psalms 126, that says, When the Lord turned our captivity, then we were like those that dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Isn't that right? Yeah. The Lord's done great things. But you see, there are a lot of things in this day and age, in the last days, that it's going to have to be God. Yeah. As I, I don't care how many degrees you have. See, it used to be, we, we relied on a lot of things in days past. If you could get another degree, if you could get, instead of just a BA, get, get, get your master's, if you can get, get, get your PhD, get the three, PhD times three, and get 40 certificates. And we go to get a job with, with ourselves loaded like this with education. Folks, there are people with this much education flipping hamburgers today. I'm serious. There are thousands of applications going in at Lawrence Livermore Labs. And people with PhDs and everything, and they're they're just getting just just looking for a place like just let me mop the floor, let me just give me some menial task. Hello. Yeah. 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 The Lord is turning situations around Amen. to those that learn how to cooperate with Him. Let's look at something. Are you excited to look at this for a few minutes tonight? Let's look at let's look at one situation that it was turned around. Praise the Lord. Well, let me get back on the notes. Uh, praise God. Yeah. Let's, let's go ahead and look at the situation with, with Esther, which is a textbook example of God turning around. Esther chapter 1, verse 10. And I'm in the King James Version. And we're going to... You know these stories, most of you, so I'm going to be really kind of paraphrasing some of the stories. But what you find here in Esther chapter 1... And I'm going to go there. Da 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 da. How many you there yet? Esther chapter one. Got mighty quiet in this first church. You're really struggling to get there. Oh, so you need a turnaround as you turn to the scripture. Actually, I need a turnaround. I think I'm going to start paraphrasing in a minute here. Praise God. There it is. Hallelujah. Esther chapter one. Of course, this is a story of Esther is an orphan. Her uncle Mordecai takes her in and rears her up and that sort of thing. But something God is doing something. He's setting something up for them. And we're, let's, just, let's just walk through this scenario. Verse 10. Are you there? Notice this. And on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded a person's name I can't pronounce, Mahuman, Mahuman Bithma, and all these other people. Oh boy, that's a lot of people. And to bring Vasti the queen... Let's skip to 11. Thank you. I need that. Turn, turn the scripture quick. Uh, turn to, Va- he, to bring Vasti the queen before the king with a crown uh, royal to show the people and the princess her beauty, for she was fair to look upon. But the queen refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlain. So something is happening right now that is really something that God is behind it you know he's, he's working a plan remember this God is always working a plan for you you can't see it but God is working a plan he's got a plan and they're good plans it says Jeremiah 29 I know the thoughts that I think remember we talked about how much God thinks about he like daydreams about you all the time he's got Edmund Lemmy on his mind all day long just like I want to bless him how am I going to do this hallelujah all these plans he's got Roy Howard on his Holy mind praise God he's just blessing people he's got Lynn on his mind hallelujah Johnny Chavez on his mind well the thing is of course she she thought she was acting of her own volition but all along what was happening here she refused of course he turns to his counselors later in chapter 1 and he says what should be done when you see the queen refuses the king he says this is really bad all our wives are going to be in a mess and all the men in the room said, yeah, they're, they're going to be rebelling against us. There will be no order in the kingdom. They'll stop frying our eggs. Man, we are messed up, so they'll stop doing our laundry. You know, I, can I be flat honest about it? If it wasn't for, for those of us that are married, if it wasn't for our wives, we'd fall apart, man. God, whatever. I thank God for those of us that have faithful wives. And all the men said, amen. We need help. But anyway, what happened was... They said, this is what you should do. I mean, this wasn't even this wasn't King Azariah that came, that, that came with the, the idea. It was his counselors. I want you to see how God works with leaders so you could be encouraged about elections and different things. It wasn't even his idea. I mean, it was his idea to bring the queen in, but it wasn't his idea to say, okay, she's out. Let's bring somebody else. And that was somebody else's idea. And notice what happened. So they made the recommendation let's bring in all the fair maidens and let's get us a new queen. Yeah, that's what we need. We need us a new queen. Sounds like a good idea. Oh, absolutely the truth. So, you know, he consults with his wise men. Queen Vashti is banished, and then they're looking for a new queen. Look at chapter 2, verse 16. Chapter 2, verse 16 says this And Esther was taken to the king uh, uh, Azarus Azer, into his house, the royal, the 10th month, and which is the month of Tibet and the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and he, she obtained grace and favor in the sight in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. That was God. He took this young lady that is a stranger in a land. She is an orphan, and she's from a completely different ethnic group and he brings her before the court and bam suddenly she went from out there in the barn somewhere to suddenly she's a queen I mean figure that out did God do something there okay you know the story but I just sometimes you, you forget how amazing this really is that God's really turning things in chapter 2 in verse 20 through 22 there's a plot that's uncovered Mordecai her uncle finds out the plot tells her about it they're able to, dis- to disrupt the plot the king's life is saved Amen? That was not by accident. And now here's, here's the first thing. In verse uh, 22 of chapter 2, let's go there. Is it up on the screen? And the, this thing was known to Mordecai who told the father of the queen and Esther, certify the king thereof in Mordecai's name. Now later on, uh, something happens where the king can't get sleep. Imagine that. Well, there's some trouble awry. There's some people that have bad intentions. And the king get, can't get sleep. So he calls for the chronicles to be read. And he hears a story about Mordecai. That, and he goes, well, what was done for this guy? you know, in in chapter 6, what was done for this guy? And he says, well, nothing. So he brings on, really, the enemy of Israel and the enemy of God, could be the person that's gossiping about you at the coffee pot. Anyway, he brings brings Haman and he says, listen, what should be done for a man that honors a king and does all these wonderful things? And Haman thought he was talking about him, so he said, you should do this, put a royal raiment, prayed him through the streets, tell him, this is this is an honorable guy, you know, this is what happened. So, so the king said, great, do that for Mordecai, and you know the story, how, how the uh, bad guys had to eat their own, you know, crow, amen. Y'all were familiar with that, he ate his own crow. So he went, you know, and it was really sad for him, but it was really good, another well, win for God. But let's, let's, let's consider just a couple of things of how God reversed, reversed or how God turned policy. Uh, it was discovered, of course, that, that Haman wanted to kill the Jews. You know that story. But policy number one that was changed is that you cannot go in front of a king without being summoned. And she said, all right, you guys pray. You pray and you fast for me. I'm going to go before the king. And if I die, I die. If I live i live i 'm going in the name of the Lord. is that right? So she presented herself, she took a step of faith to change policy. She stood before the king without being summoned, and supernaturally it 's like God moved on that king, and then she had favor and he he uh, sent or, or he leaned his scepter toward her, and she was able to live and come of course and declare what her cause was so that was a policy change friends that was a policy change well tell me tell me what kind of policy changes does god need in your life does he need to rezone something for you i know people that have received jobs that the policy of the company was you have to have this degree that degree and the other degree and so much experience but god changed that policy for a godly person right here in our church they have a preferred position a preferred position they, they, they went before the board and said, Now, I know you're supposed to have this degree and that degree and this, but look at this guy. He was like, it was like the scepter was granted. Hallelujah. God changes policies. Friends, don't ever be discouraged because there's a policy against what's right for you. Amen. Always seek the Lord. See, there's policies everywhere. Some good, some bad. But when it comes to the children of God, you need to be encouraged about the fact that you've got favor and a purpose for the kingdom of God. And if he calls you to do something for such a time as this. That policies have got to change. Amen. 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 Policies have to change. Okay, so we, we go on to find that that she, she was um, able to do that. And the second thing uh, is, is that God intervened and he couldn't get sleep. Heard about Mordecai and what have you and um, the second policy that was changed of course was when the plot was uncovered and she invited them for a banquet the second thing that was changed is the king said this was amazing to me he said okay hang Haman on the gallows that he made for Mordecai you know hang him for the people that have it out for you let them hang themselves and then uh, she went before the king again and pleaded it says that he put his scepter I wonder if she showed up unannounced again <laughs> <laughs> did you notice that? I never noticed that till today she showed up again and then he had to put his scepter around twice she put her life online she says king save my people and guess what happened he goes well what do you want? whatever you want what do you want? he goes well they're going to try to destroy this writing that this person said well write your own thing and my, he, he gave Mordecai the ring that he took from him he says here's my authority here's the king's authority and he let listen to the lesson here he let Mordecai write the new law says okay write your own ticket whatever you want to do just do it here's my ring it's it's backed up by me whatever you want to do write it in my name they reversed look at the king didn't do this I want you to see something here I need you to see something the king was the authority right but in both cases of making policy the one about let's get rid of this queen and let's get another queen that wasn't even his idea that was somebody around him said that. And he says, okay, well, sounds good to me. Let's do it. And when, when uh, the, the new queen came in, when Esther came in and said, look, we need to save my people, that wasn't even his idea. And when he says, when, they said, how are we going to solve this problem to save my people? He goes, well, you write the law. I, here's the authority. You do it. He didn't even do it. Letters were sent to the entire region. They were given the right to defend themselves. The fear of everyone fell so much on the, for the fear for the Jews that many people started actually becoming Jews. <laughs> Instead of persecuting them, they said, huh, we better join this group. Yeah. Friends, God will enable you in many situations to write your own ticket. Okay, what? I mean, turn it around, friends. Just turn it around. For you to be able from, from begging and groveling to writing your own ticket. Negotiating, saying exactly what you want. Hallelujah. Praise God. That is a turnaround. How many of you know that that's a textbook turnaround? That was an absolute, absolute textbook turnaround. So um, that was one where the Lord enabled policies to be changed, decrees and laws to be changed. And I want to make a little side note before I get too far along in this. That policy was the policy change did not just affect one person. It affected the entire nation. And this is important for you to realize. You may think that the battle that you're fighting just affects you. But that's not true. When you stand for righteousness and the Lord helps you to stand in a position to say something or do something. There are many people that it will affect. When you stand for... And understand, I'm not asking you to be a rebel. We're not saying be a rebel. I'm just saying when the Lord puts it on your heart. Take your assignment like a man or like a woman of God. And understand that you are intervening and you are uh, interceding, if you will, for untold numbers of people behind you. Amen? It's not just for you. Another thought about that situation is that, notice that before she went to the king, there was prayer and fasting. There was a decree that went out to all the provinces for all the Jews to do what? To pray and fast and seek God for favor. So, Whatever you do in God, if you want to see a turnaround and you want to see a God turnaround, you need to make sure that you're connected with heaven and that you're bathing it in prayer. Amen, everybody? Praise the Lord. All right, let's look at another situation of a turnaround. God has God is able to turn hearts around. And uh, the way I like to do this, I'll just do this fairly quickly. This was the situation of, of Saul of Tarsus, and you find that in Acts chapter 9. And let's read Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Acts chapter 9, 1 and 2. And we're in the King James Version. There are people that are dangerous people and they have bad intentions and they've aimed their bazooka at you. You are in the line of fire. But you see, it's not just you. It's who you represent. There's a lot of people that attack Christians because it's the spirit of Antichrist. Come on in the world attacking the spirit of christ i mean this light and darkness do not mix is that right so a lot of times you'll find that you'll be persecuted for what for righteousness sake so what we look here is is, and saul if you read with me and saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the lord went unto the high priest and desired of him letters here we go policy again Desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, and that if he found any of this way, in other words, Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So here's a man that is determined and set to persecute church people, to persecute the Jews, Christians, if you will. There are people, listen, that are bound and determined to persecute you. They're bound into the sermon to get you in a bind, to take you down. It's just, it's, you know, God forgive them. They don't know, many of them don't know what they're doing. They're yielding to a wrong spirit. Many of them are. But, you know, not everybody out there is nice. And if they're yielding to a wrong spirit, they're trying to take you down. So here's Saul. That's why the Bible says, pray for those that persecute you. You know, the church was praying all along. They knew this Saul of Tarsus is a dangerous dude with evil intentions. So what happens, of course, while he's on his way, on his way to go and persecute and arrest and torment Christians, guess what happened? There was a supernatural turnaround. God intervened. Of course, there was a light from heaven that shone round about him and uh, the voice that came from heaven, it was the voice of Christ himself that said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Ain't that right? And in that particular such situation, that confrontation with Saul was not, was not a human being. It was God that did it. Praise God. And like I, like I said earlier today, there are situations you're going to be in that the only way that it's going to turn around is if God gets as God gets involved and he does it. I mean, God got involved with Esther. There was a dream that came in. And then it just so happened that the guy couldn't sleep. And it so happened that... Read me something. Just read me something. And what is he reading about? Oh, he's just reading about Mordecai. Oh, wow. What's been done for him? Nothing. Oh, we got to do something. Oh, look who happens to be coming in. It's, oh, it happens to be Haman. Let's ask him what we should do. It's just... These are not coincidences, friends. Everything is planned. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Hallelujah. And though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, because the what the Lord upholds him with his hand. You're upheld, friend. I know it's getting nasty. I know it's bad out there. But for the for the Christian and the uncompromisingly righteous, you can be secure in the knowledge of knowing that you serve a God of the turnaround. Praise God. <laughs> Woo. So of course, you know the rest of the story. Paul uh, converted. He went uh, in the book of Acts to a certain disciple in verse 10 uh, a disciple in Damascus named Ananias and the Lord explained the, he, Ananias basically ministered to Paul and Paul became a convert and the guy that was persecuting suddenly now he's preaching what? Like, that was like such an extreme turnaround let me read this in a complete reversal of a situation or a set of circumstances how many of you see that? can you see that? who did that? When the Lord turned our captivity, praise yes. God. <laughs> praise God. I want to show you something else, just another story. And I'm glad I had enough time to get into this story. This, is, this may be the only, the, the last part, the story that I can get into. We're going to talk about how God turns captivity. And we're going to look at Job's story. If you please turn to Job chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. This is such a classic textbook Example of the God of the turnaround. I wonder if we can get a shout in this Holy Ghost church. I wonder if God's still turning things around today. You know He is. Look at this. I want to read, I I want to give you just a little bit of background. On Job so that you can understand the, the caliber of person that Job was. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Now listen to verse 3. His substance Also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household. Now, I don't know how a very great household is, but all we can do is ascertain from the very next statement. Listen to this. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Did you catch that? We're talking about the Warren Buffett or the Bill Gates of the East back in his day. He was the wealthiest, most powerful man in the East in his day while he was alive. Are you catching the picture? Now, of course, the accuser of the brethren comes in, in chapter one and verse six through 12. And, uh, He goes on to say, we could read a little bit now. There was a day when the sons of God, that's chapter chapter 1, verse 6, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came along also among them. And don't be surprised that Satan has access to God because he is the accuser of the brethren. God is the judge. We heard Sunday about don't judge. Wonderful message about not judging because there really is only one judge. That judge is who? Is God. But see... If you're a judge, then you have to hold court sessions, don't you? So that by that, you have to allow the prosecuting attorney to have access to you. So don't be nervous about the fact that Satan had access to God. So he presented himself before the Lord. Now watch this. He says, From whence cometh down, Satan answered him, From going to and fro on the earth, And from walking up and down. And the Lord said, Have you considered my servant Job in verse number 8 that there is none like him in all the earth a perfect man upright man one that fears the Lord and issues evil and and Satan answered the Lord and said doth Job fear God for naught, or or for no reason at all it says verse 10 hath thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side and you have blessed the work of uh, his hands and his substance has increased in the land and then of course he goes on to say put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face now, just an understanding as we talk about this, God did not step in and actually do these things to job. you got to understand the things that you 're about to read are statements, they are truly stated, but they are not statements of truth. In other words, some of the things that job said it was he was just entering that phase of reasoning when he was Uh, with his friends talking about how could this be he was at that point where life is so hard he's getting the bolt and that wrench and he's going this way then he's trying the other way and then he's trying the other way and they're trying to reason their way about how in the world could this happen that's basically and a lot of what they said in that chapter was there was their humanity trying to figure this out okay but what we're going to we're going to skip a lot of that reasoning we're not going to that's not what the purpose of tonight and the purpose of tonight is this the purpose is that indeed Job was tested and we know that and uh, the enemy came in and if you were to ask me how could God God loves Job and first of all that was the Old Testament we got to understand that but also how could how could God allow that to happen And please understand that there was a key that we've discovered uh, about how that was able to happen. And that is in Job 3.25. If you put that scripture up for everyone, I just want to put this out before we go any further so that you don't get confused about. Is God going to do this to me, dear Lord? He's going to, you know, take everything from me and strip me down to nothing. (laughs) No, thank you. No, listen to this. Job said this, for the thing, read it with me. For the thing which I greatly feared... Has come upon me. And that which I was what? Afraid of. Is come unto me. The thing that I greatly feared. If you've been in the church for any length of time. You'll understand that fear is a force. It's a spirit. And you cannot yield to it. It's opposite of faith. In fact. It's. it's um, what a, a way that these. It's, it's perverted faith. In other words. You're believing for something bad to happen. If you will. If you could look at it that way. It's contaminated It's a contamination of the faith principle. So if you're afraid to drive, I just know you, you, you will drive down the freeway saying, I just know I'm going to have an accident. I just know I'm going to have an accident. That's faith in the wrong, in the negative world. Everybody follow that? So Job lived his life. He just didn't have this down. He was afraid to lose things. He was afraid that something bad was going to happen. Afraid living under a cloak of fear. As good of a man as he was he still gave place to the devil and the bible clearly tells us neither give place to the so he really he opened the door and no no uh condemnation to him i mean the the story gets really good a lot of, i the first one that has never opened the door to the devil i mean you could go ahead and criticize and throw your stone but it's not going to be me okay anyway if you if you go through Job, you find out that he lost kids, he lost all of his property, he lost all of his um, assets. All those things that they talked that he had, they were gone. His portfolio was shot. He was broke. And then the, the second level was that he lost his health. Satan says, okay, he hasn't cursed you yet, okay, but touch his skin for skin. If you touch his, if you touch his health, then he's going to curse you. But you know, Job didn't do that either. But, you know, that, I just want to encourage you, even if you're wrong in your head, you could be right in your heart. Job said a lot of stupid things. I mean, he said things that we're encouraged not to say. He cursed the day of his birth, and you know, he started. Cur- you, sh- you should never curse your life. You know what I'm talking about? It's not something you should go around doing on a regular basis. You need to agree with God and bless your life. You know, not curse it. But you know, but he didn't have full revelation. He was walking in the light of what he had. Thank you. So now we go on to see. Let's go to the end where God turned the captivity. Can we go there? Can you go there with me? Job chapter 42. Go there with me, will you? Another case of the God of the turnaround. And so it was in verse 7. Job chapter 42 and verse 7. And so it was that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Timonite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for you have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job has. These were, you've heard them, the Job's comforters, right? They, weren't, they, were, re- they were in the realm of reason. They weren't really uh, led by God. And and weren't speaking the word of the Lord. Then it goes on to say, Therefore take you now seven bullocks, seven rams. Go to my servant Job, offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job, listen to this. Read this with me. And my servant Job say it shall what pray for you. For I will accept for him I will accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that you have not spoken to me the thing that is right, like my servant Job. So verse number nine. So Eliphaz the Temanite. And Bildad and the, Shuman, uh, the Shuhite and Zophar the Nahumite, wow, went and did according to the Lord and command what the Lord commanded them. And the Lord also accepted Job. And listen, listen to it, verse ten. Read this with me. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. I want you to, let's just say that a few times together. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Now, let's go to the the latter part of the verse. And also, the Lord gave Job how much? Twice as much as he had before. Twice as much. Y'all remember the series Pastor Preached? Ben, I think it's been almost a year and a half, maybe two years. Remember the double? Yeah. Double is doable. Oh, I love those sermons. I love. And you know what? It wasn't just a sermon. Do you know that that was a spiritual deposit? That God is the God of the double. D-O-U-B-L-E. Double. Double anointing. Double joy. I remember him doing the double dance. Hallelujah. How many of you remember that? That was a great series. But again, it wasn't just a series. It was a, a, a rhema word from heaven, and we need that today. I just want to stir the pot up a little bit about that. God gave Job twice as much. Now, let's think about this a little bit. You have the wealthiest man in the East go absolutely bankrupt and broke and sick. He had no more assets He had no more, uh, no ability in himself to restructure the company, to to ask President Obama for bailout funds. (laughs) He hardly had enough strength to get out of bed, but when it says that the Lord turned his captivity, evidently, Healing came to his body. Then the Lord brought to him. I mean, you have to use your spiritual imagination a little bit. The Lord must have given given him some ideas. And the Lord must have brought supplies. And he didn't curse that supply. He was anointed with the supply that he had. I have a question for you. Are you anointed with the supply that God has given you? Never curse your supply. I only have this. We've talked about, I love that, that principle by Nancy Dufresne. She says, don't ever curse the supply that God has given you. You could take that supply and you could turn it into something. As long as you have that stick in your hand that God gave you. As long as you have that ability that God gave you. That represents the anointing of God and the power and the enablement to prosper. In your generation right here in the nasty now and now. And, you know, there have been some I've heard somewhere where the, the time before the time of where where Job's captivity was turned was a relatively short period of time. But, of course, it goes on to say that he had many children and lived over a 100 years after when, you know, he the captivity was turned and he, he died at a ripe old age and a very wealthy man. But you can't have all these children in three months. So, <laughs> right? Uh, unless they uh, test two babies or something. I don't know. But anyway, the thought here is, I mean, the Lord turned that captive. Who did it? The Lord did it. You know, I have, I have every reason to believe that, that Job continued to walk with God and to do what was Right? And to worship God. And to take whatever was in His hand. And to use it. And it just multiplied in His hand. Look at your hands, friends. Look at your hands right here and say, I'm anointed. I'm anointed to do. What heathen ungodly people. Can't do. God gives me. Ability. Ability. Insight, Insight. wisdom, Wisdom. creativity, Creativity. boldness, Boldness. and cunning cunning. to be able to bring to pass pass great things 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 in in my lifetime. Amen. Give Jesus a shout. Hallelujah. It's true. It's true. You're anointed. So. Just in closing, I just want to say that from what I have seen, uh, even as God is turning captivity, you don't just sit and do nothing. It seems to me that you have to do something. I mean, at the very least, this is what I have seen. You need to be praying. Your faith needs to be active. Secondly, you need to step out and do something. What seems right to the Holy Ghost and to you to just do something. Amen. Like going in and see this, who knows, but like they said to Esther, but you weren't coming to the kingdom for such a time as this. And she stepped out and she did something. I mean, there's another turnaround, the lepers. Remember the four lepers and kings? I mean, they said, why sit here till we die? Let's, I mean, let's just go over there. I mean, if they kill us, we die. If we stay here, we die. So let's just go. Maybe we can get a hot roast beef sandwich before, you know, we die. (laughs) But see, you've got to do something. The enemy tries to keep you in inactivity. He tries to keep you not doing anything, because he tries to get you discouraged. But here's here's the way that you could position yourself for the turnaround. And I know most. of... How many in the room could use at least one turnaround, one real juicy good turnaround in your life? How many of you can use at least two good juicy turnarounds? How many believe that your church can do a use a turnaround? How about the state of California could use a major turnaround? Ha, ha, See? Ha! He's the God of the turnaround. I love songs like God is about to turn some things around. Just hold my mule. I'm going to dance in a minute. Position yourself for the God's turnaround. These are components of the turnaround. I call it PSR. Pray, seek, and repent. You got to have some PSR about you. You have to have a prayer life and seek God and pray the Holy Ghost prayers. When we say seek, PS, seek to me means that you need to align your priorities with his priorities. You cannot really seek God without realigning your priorities. If you're going to seek God, you have to, you have to, uh, like it says in Hebrews, God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You have to go out of your way to go to church on a Wednesday night. You really have to go out of your way to to go to church on a Wednesday night. Why are you here? You're seeking God. Is that right? I mean, isn't that what you're doing? You're seeking the Lord. You're you're inquiring at His temple. Isn't that what you're doing? You're uniting yourself with other believers so that what? So that you can hear from heaven and continue that flow of life into your life. Hear and be healed. Praise God. Hear and uh, watch God move in your behalf. So, seeking God means you have to turn your priorities correctly. If they're not correct, I mean, if, if, if other things are more important than seeking God, you're not gonna make it. You have to sh- shut the world out and you have to set your, set your face like Flint to do the will of God and seek Him. Diligently seek him. It says in Hebrews, I remember a minister, minister this about uh, that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. In Hebrews, that word, uh, diligently seek, seek him, the word translated to those that crave him. You gotta have him. You gotta have a God fix. I know what you like coming to church, and I like to hear Pastor Mark and Brenda preach, and whoever preaches up here, I love to get a fix, a God fix, hallelujah. Gotta have it. I'm an addict for Jesus, hallelujah. How many of you feel the same way? But then there's repent. And friends, just remember, you may you know, have to repent for yourself, but a lot of the praying that I saw, that Daniel did, a lot of the praying that Esther did, a lot of the praying, what they were doing, they were praying not just for themselves, they were asking God forgiveness and repenting for their nation's sins. If my people, which are called by my name, it says in, in Chronicles, would humble themselves and do what? Watch the football game. No, humble themselves and pray. And seek. There's seek. Seek my face and then turn from their... Wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and then I will heal, or I will bring the turnaround to come to pass. And you know, a lot of times when when we have to understand that you stand in the gap for your country, for your city, for your for your town, for your family, and you stand in that gap, and you and you ask God for mercy for them. What are you doing? You're 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 in a sense you're like praying repentance over them you're covering them jesus said it this way forgive them for they know not what they do friends a lot of people don't know what they're doing they're doing some crazy things ain't that right but see you could sta- stand in the gap and do that praise god he said i sought for a man to stand in the gap stand in the gap don't give up on standing in the gap for people Stand in the gap for turnarounds, praise God. Because He turns things around, praise the Lord. So that's what I saw when you position yourself for a turnaround. You're doing some PSR, pray, seek, and repent. And we know that God will turn captivity. Now just one last scripture before I, before we close tonight. It goes on, let's see, there's some so many juicy little scriptures. Mmm, mmm, mm. Okay, okay. Mmm, mmm, mm, mm. Oh, this was good. Ezekiel twenty-one verse twenty-seven. I'll just read this scripture and we'll close. Ezekiel twenty-one and verse twenty-seven. Love the scripture. Do you have it up there? Everybody, turn right, quick, 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 quick. Let's go. It's about a little after eight thirty. I want to kind of wrap this up. He goes. I, I never saw this before. He says, "I will overturn, overturn, overturn it." and it shall be no more until he come whose right it is and I will give it to him now, now check, check out what this is saying check out what it's saying God is going to turn 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 things and then just hold them just hold them in position until the person the rightful owners listen the rightful owners come to step up and take place and then he's going to give it to them hallelujah Woo that just ministers I don't know if that does for you what it does for me but if you know if he's going to if he's going to cause the heathen to come into the kingdom of God if he's going to call the wealth of the sinners to come into the hands of the just I think God's in the mode right now of turning, turning, turning and grabbing things pulling them and holding them for the rightful owners hallelujah hallelujah I'll just tell you right now, if you haven't looked around, you know they're not in the hands of the rightful owners yet. But stand up to your feet because God is turning things around. Stand up to your feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The rightful owners. Praise God. Come on. Hallelujah. The rightful owners. That's right. Praise God. We worship you tonight, Lord. We just stand right now before your face and before your throne. We thank you that you're turning things around in our nation.